Welcome to North Bay Christ the King. You're listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11 o'clock at our campus location in Birch Bay, Washington. Thank you for tuning in. did more than that. Guys are doing good. You are a little bit more awake. That's good. It's going to help. There's going to be some jokes rolling out later. So I, I'm going to need your help on that because they bombed the first service. So you ever plan to be funny? That eh, doesn't work for me. I'm, I, I'm, I'm funny accidentally, I think. Right, Mikey? I think that's kind of... So it is. It's just like, you know. So great to see you today. I, I boy, I, it, it, losing an extra hour, feeling it. However, though, when it's sunny, it's beautiful here, right? And I had the opportunity today to, because it's a little later, I got to see the sun rise and saw that little, that, that, that's just this little glow come right over the top of the mountain today. I'm going, it's going to be a good day. It's going to be a beautiful, beautiful day. So thanks for being here with us. I wanted to just give a little bit of a warning for next Sunday. If you, hopefully you plan to be here. Look around, see a few younger faces here. Next Sunday is going to be, we're giving it a rating. It's going to be PG-13. And it's going to be really a topic that I would call it like the silent plague topic. It's, it's pretty huge. And it fits right in with our series, what we're going to do. So I wanted to give that warning next week. You're wondering what it is. You're going to have to come next week, find that out, what it's going to be about but I really, really want to give that warning. So, you know, if you got younger teens or kids here, um, they're welcome to be here, but you're going to have an interesting lunch conversation uh, about it. So just, just want you to know that that's going to be happening next week, and it will make sense when we jump into it. But uh, as we continue our series this morning, I wanted to share, my wife and I were first married, well, just even right after our wedding, we came back from our honeymoon and opened Tons of gifts. I don't know what if you're married, you know what your wedding was like, but we got a lot of gifts. It's almost like Christmas times 20. It's just unbelievable amount of stuff you get. And I remember we had like, I think the biggest thing, we had like eight crystal platters. And I'm thinking at the time, I don't even need one, right? You know, and we had eight of them, you know, so we were able to trade those in and get a TV. So that was kind of neat with that. And uh, my idea, uh, where, where do you think they bought this? And so that was great. And we had, you know, dishes, because we, I guess we registered to something, and we got dishes that all match, which was really neat, and uh, so, <laughs> and, 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 and then one other thing was kind of a unique gift, we got a, a used Jello mold, a used, slightly used, it was apparently red Jello was made in it, and of course it was on my side of the family that we got that gift from, so lots of unusual gifts, but one of the gifts that we got was, and I don't think it's real that wedding gifty is a toolbox. This toolbox right here, we opened up after our wedding. And with it, I, I don't know for sure which tools were in it. I know there was only a couple things. I don't think this was the original hammer or screwdriver or that, but it was like two or three tools. And that was it. That's all we got in a toolbox. I'm going, huh, that's an interesting wedding gift. I'm going to tell you, we still have the toolbox. Now, some of the dishes, item towels, I don't know what happened to them, but we still have the toolbox. This toolbox has gone through about nine moves, six garages, but we got the toolbox. And it was, 
What's interesting is I actually have more tools than just this. I didn't want to bring all my tools, my whole garage. And what I found in life, but like you, just, it's kind of been a metaphor of marriage. We've kind of added things along in our life that, got, that, that we had what we need to get through in, in life and the things we have. And so we have, I've got a garage full of tools. In fact, I have more than one hammer. I have countless screwdrivers. I have five tape measures. I don't know why I have five tape measures. There's really no need for that, right? But I have all this stuff. I think, where did I get it? Well, I accumulated along the way, and, and I inherited it. People died for the tools I have in my toolbox, okay? That's just where it's at. And so I was thinking about our life where we accumulate the, the tools that we need to get through what we need to get through. And how you know in life, though, there's certain things that a Phillips screwdriver cannot fix. A hammer, you know, you don't want to take a hammer during your marriage. That's not good. There's a lot of things that we work through, that we, but we need tools to get us through when you get through. And there's times, though, in our life where we, it's sink or swim. Do we have what we need? In fact, here's the question I have for us here is, will you have the right tool at the right time when you need it the most? That's kind of a, I don't know if you ask yourself that question necessarily that way, but it really comes to life. Do I have what it takes? Do I have what I need at the moment that I need it? And what's powerful, we've been talking these last few weeks leading up to Easter, is that God really has given us has given us and promises everything we need. We've been looking at this one verse and camping out for it for several weeks and building upon this series that God has given us everything we need. Scripture says this, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him and has called us by his own glory and goodness. Everything. That's a pretty big promise, don't you think? You can't, it's not some things, it's not a little bit of things, it's everything. Wow, really God, that's what you give us? Everything. How does that, how does that work? Because what I find is there's a challenge there because there's a level of faith to believe that he has given us everything we need. Let's be honest though, that's really how God works though. That really God gives us what we need when we need it at the moment that we need it, Right? It would be wonderful. I think we all would think, you know, if I just roll up my garage door and I have all the little, if I just have to pull it off the shelf in life, oh, got this, I want this, I want this, and it's all good. Well, we know this is obviously not God's plan because it's not that way. And the reason for it is there would not need any need of God in the first place. When you don't really need anybody, you don't build any kind of relationship. It's just the way it goes in life. And God... God's saying, hey, I know, I know that you're in need, but I want you to be in need of me. There's a dependency relationship that's there, and it's all connected with faith. And it's through faith that we have relationship. What does God want from us most? He wants relationship with us. See, that's what Hebrews tells us and really kind of warns us of this. It says, without faith, it's impossible to please God, it's impossible to have a relationship with him because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Come to him and believe he truly is there and he will give us what we need when we seek after him. So we've been talking the last few weeks that the irony of the culture abundance that we live in today, that we really can 
get anything that we want in life. I believe in this room, and we're in different economic states and things, but I think there's enough of us could leverage whatever we want when we can get it right now. I bet we could. We could We could apply for that credit card. I applied for a credit card a couple days ago, and it took me 10 seconds, okay? I could find credit anywhere, okay? Um, you can as well. Now, you're going to pay the price later. We could figure out how to get what we want, but we lack what we, many times, what we desperately, desperately need. So there's a lot of things in life that Costco, Costco doesn't carry and Amazon Prime doesn't deliver. What is that? What, what are those things? It's hard to believe, but it's true. See, what you can't give in this, in this world ultimately is peace, forgiveness, security, love, hope, identity, purpose, deep friendship, community. All of that ultimately comes in a continual relationship that's solely, solely depend upon So I want to sum up and what I want us to focus on here for a few minutes together is this. Our soul sufficiency is through his sustaining grace. Our soul sufficiency is through his amazing grace. And when we talk about grace and we sing about grace and his amazing grace, many times we're singing about his saving grace. And his saving grace is what we need the most. It's the first thing that we need. We need Christ to save us by his grace. What does Ephesians 2, 8 says? But for by grace we are saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works that none of us would boast. We not boast in anything that we've done. It's all God's grace to save us. And so if you haven't experienced the saving grace of Jesus Christ, that's what you need first and foremost. But I have a feeling many of us in this room have experienced that salvation. We know where we're going and we got, got all that secure but what about something even greater is this, is, or, or not greater than that, but his, what he offers us in this world is something that we truly, truly need, and that is his, his sustaining grace. That we need his sustaining grace in our lives. In practical terms, it means this, that everything that we need, God will provide us and give us what we need when we need it. No more, no less. We have the right tools and the right time that we can know and trust in him. And we sing it and we declare it over and over in our life is this, that Christ is enough for me. Now, ironically, in all that being said, and all that we have in his sufficiency in Christ, we really do truly not experience that sufficiency without coming to a place of utter dependence upon him. I don't know if you've ever read much of the 19th century Charles Henry McNosh. It's not real light reading, uh, if you want to know. But there's a statement that he said, and it's the state of our condition to be in this dependence upon God. He says, as once the soul has been brought to feel the reality of its condition before God, the depth of its ruin, guilt, and misery, its utter and hopeless bankruptcy, there could be no rest until the Holy Spirit reveals a full and all-sufficient Christ to the heart. The only possible answer to our total ruin is God's perfect remedy. So if you ever felt ruined, guilty, misery, and a place of hopelessness. If you feel that way, even this morning, welcome to Christ the King, okay? You're going to fit right in here with every single honest person in the world, 
Okay? It just comes down to that. When we get to that place, and when we get to that place, as much as that's painful, there's a gift that's involved in this because we recognize that we're at that dependency. It's a recognition that we know and, and find that we're at that place of ruin. And you as we, as, and I, as we dive into Scripture this morning, are going to look at a life that we can identify with. There's a life that we can identify that, that came to the place of wreckage and ruin in their life, a place of humility in their life, meaning utterly dependent upon him. And it's found in the book of Acts. It's, it's the life of Saul who ended eventually became Paul. Saul was this zealot religious guy. He, he was trained in the best rabbis. He became a teacher, teachers himself of the religious law. Saul was a zealot, meaning he was after what he thought was right and what God thought he was. He, he, but, but the process was this, that he was proud and he was pompous. And one of the biggest issues in the New Testament was this. He was a Christian killer. He ordered the hit of Stephen, the first martyr recorded in, in Scripture in the New Testament in the first century church. And it was his religious pride that kept him from understanding and believing in and trusting in the eyewitness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So God got his attention. I've heard, like when I was younger, I'd heard somebody said, well, the, you know, the Holy Spirit, he's a gentleman. <laughs> Not for the apostle Paul. The Holy Spirit was a two by four for him. He experienced the grace of God in, in an incredible way. He was blindsided literally by Jesus himself. Look at, look at Acts chapter 9. It says, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he saw, he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there, speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, and when he opened his eyes, he couldn't see anything. And so they led him by hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Luke, who wrote this, says, along the way, God spoke to a guy named Ananias, who just became a believer himself. And God says to Ananias, I want you to go to uh, Saul of Tarsus, and I want you to pray for him. He's going to be healed. He's going to be one of my servants. And, and Ananias goes, no way, no, how I'm going to do that? He's like a religious mob boss. You, Lord, you know what he's doing. He's killing Christians. No, you must go. God is going, I want you to be used to, for him to be healed. And out of great courage, led by the Spirit, Ananias goes and he prays for Paul. Paul becomes healed. He becomes a Christian. He gets baptized and he gets filled with the Holy Spirit all in one shot. And here, the the Christian killer, the number one guy that was taking out Christians, becomes one of the greatest Christians, becomes the, one of the greatest missionaries in the first century, wrote a majority of the New Testament. Amazing, huh? But what, it didn't come without pain. It did not come without incredible torture and persecution that Saul, who became Paul, experience. Here's a guy who had all that he needed. 
Here's a guy who had a garage full of all the tools that he could possibly need. He had power, he had prestige, he had wealth, and came to the utter ruin of his life. The guy that was killing Christians becomes the number one enemy people are trying to take out who was now became a Christian. Saul experienced, though, over many courses of decades, something was so amazing, and that's soul sufficiency in Christ. And he shares his experience in all these different letters, uh, these letters. But one thing that was so powerful is in 2 Corinthians, it's really the third letter that he writes to the Corinthian church. He describes in candid ways what he experienced in life. And as we look at this here for a few minutes, I encourage you to pull out your notes, take some notes on this, to think about this and understand the strength of, of weakness. We're going to talk here for a moment, the strength of weakness. You're thinking, how do you find strength in weakness? Well, it's here. Paul shows us the way of what that really looks like. It's right here where Saul, who became Paul, tells us that God taught him in, in, in a, on the way through a pathway of humility. Here he was, revered by the religious, becomes their number one enemy. And everywhere he goes, he is, he is persecuted and for sharing the good news of Jesus. He lists in chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians all that he went through. Been in prison over and over, been flogged. Uh, flogged meaning you, you, you take a, a whip and you put a little ball at the end and you put shards of glass and clay and they whip you with it over and over and over and over. Very similar to what Jesus experienced. What was, was beaten with rods, was stoned, left to dead when he threw rocks at him. He survived that. He was shipwrecked three times. <laughs> Once enough, three times. He was weary, sleep was hungry, had no place to live. And then in the end of his life, he was put in chains. He was in house arrest. And he leads to these words. The mighty, proud Saul becomes a humble Paul. And he says these words. He says these words here. He says this. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. He goes on in the next chapter, 2 Corinthians 12, and he talks about this man who had this vision for 14 years and all of that, and he's really describing himself. It, and then what he says in the end, what am I going to boast? I'm going to boast on what I experienced, what I accomplished. No. Paul came to place and understanding the boasting is not in him. It is ultimately in God and what God has done. And Paul experienced what we all need to experience. If we want to find strength and weakness, it's this. You can write this in. Our weakness can never become our strength without admitting our pride. Admitting our pride. It comes down to that. And I want to, I want to camp on pride just here for a couple minutes. It's such a huge deal. Admitting our pride has got to be, come on, it's got to be the toughest thing to do, isn't it? There's a lot of things we can admit and do and all that. It's to, to admit our weaknesses, to admit our imperfections, to admit our mistakes is so very difficult. Because here's the thing. We pr all prop ourselves up the best version of ourselves that we can be. And on our good days, we pull it off, don't we? On our good days, we just get the right angle of the, 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 the post that we have and how we look so good. And we edit whatever we need to edit on our lives, either on social media, or we edit our lives in conversation. And people along the way, they ask, you know, how's life? And, and we go, you know, it's, it's, it's good. It's real good. I got all that I need right here. I'm doing good. 
we don't seem like to have a whole lot going, no, it's good. And I've had people say it's good and really good. And they go, good, good. I'm like, that's a lot of good. That's a lot of good that's happening in, in your life. And yet you realize it's not good at all. And at some point comes a place where we have to admit our weaknesses in our life. And why do we do that? Why do we put on the front? It's pride. And I was thinking about pride. This is my theory with pride. Is that pride is really the outward shell of an insecure soul. Think about that a little bit. The harder the nut somebody is to crack, there's probably a lot of hurt and there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of things going on the inside. And insecurity is, is really at the softest part of someone's life. And we put on that front, we put on the asking is we don't want people to know what's really truly going on. To be vulnerable is such a hard place. Can I encourage you? And this is always hard when you talk about pride because a lot of people, if they really have pride, they, they're in the room here and they go, I'm fine. I got no problem. Well, that's pride does blindness. So if you could hear and just listen, is it possibly you? Is it possibly me this morning? Here's the thing with pride is, 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 really, is really this. If you don't deal with your pride, Ugliness comes out in the most inconvenient moments in the most embarrassing ways. At some point, it will come out. At some point, we'll lash out. At some point, it'll seep out of our life. The pain, the insecurity, the issues of our heart. And there's no way, no how, at some point, you can contain it any longer. And so the biggest issue with pride is not even all that and what it does to the relationships around us and to ourselves. What it does is our relationship with God. Because when we say to God at that point in pride is we're just saying we don't need him anymore. And there's no dependence upon him anymore. And what happens instead of moving you toward God, pride separates you from him. And the temptation for us is to take our own little toolbox, our own little bit of life and go, we're fine. And God comes along and goes, well, I hope with what you have works out for you. That's great. Let me know if you need any help along the way. In fact, you, scripture actually goes a little further. James says this about pride. is this, that God opposes the proud, but gives favor to the humble. The other word for favor is grace. So if you want the grace of God in your life, you can't have grace and you can't have pride at the same thing. You have to admit your pride. And the problem with pride, again, is it's hard to admit. And so what God in his grace does is this. He humbles us to help us experience his grace. In his grace, in his great love, he will humble us. And that's what he did. Paul on the dusty road of Damascus, he needed to be humbled. And all of us at times, as much as we don't like to be humbled, have to be humbled. See, that's kind of how humbleness works. It's like this week, some of you might be writing down, okay, okay, I need to be humbled. I'm going to get humbled this week. Let's all write that down. Let's be humbled. I think maybe, you know, it'll be a good day, Tuesday. I don't have a whole lot going on in the afternoon. <laughs> I think I'm, that's my time to be humbled. You can't schedule being humbled. Does that, does that make sense? You can't do that. You have to know at times that God does the humbling. And, and the, the power of being humbled is that it's outside of our control, which is a whole other issue. And so when we're humbled, it's, it's us coming to place and recognizing God's grace. That is the work that he's doing. And it's painful. Let me ask, have you been humbled lately? Has the very core of your soul been shaken in a way? And it's so painful. Let me challenge you, if you're still falsely believing in this, what you have is going to get you through, recognize 
God's coming and says, you come to the place admitting our weakness, admitting our vulnerability. Lord, I, I come to a place of vulnerability, admitting our mistakes, admitting where we're at, Lord. I desperately, desperately need you. See, humility that comes through brings strength. And guess what? What's around a corner is so powerful. That is this, that our weakness, when we admit our weakness, it provides the perfect opportunity for God to show his power. When we admit our weakness, it shows and it gives the perfect opportunity for God to show his power. And this was so true for the Apostle Paul. You see, right at the, at the time of his conversion, Ananias heard Jesus say to him, you got to tell him that this, that he will suffer in my name. That, that, that Saul is going to suffer in my name. And it wasn't being punishment of Saul. It wasn't that. It was that he knew that Paul had to be humbled. He had to be humbled. And suffering he did. And one issue after another, and he got through what he got through. He survived the stoning. He got through the three shipwrecks. He, he survived being flogged along the way. And he lived to tell about it. But what it made harder for Paul, and it makes it harder for us, is when we're dealing with the pain ongoing and continually in our life. See, in the middle of this letter to the Corinthian church, he says this, of all that he's gone through and all that he suffered through and all that he survived, he says this, they're giving me a thorn in my flesh. Maybe you've heard that before, thorn in my flesh. You've heard that, maybe you've talked about people, man, they're a thorn in my flesh. It came from this very verse in scripture. And you need to know that a thorn in the flesh, it wasn't... in the Greek, it doesn't mean hangnail. It means stake for torturing and paling someone. I don't know, was thorns bigger back then or something? But that is way bigger than a little, little paper cut. This was huge. And what, it, what made it so painful was it was ongoing and reincurring in his life. Now, what was specifically the thorn in the flesh? What was it? It wasn't probably a literal thorn. That's easy to take out. What was it? Well, some ask one person, they'll give you a different, different person give you a different answer. It was a religious leaders. It was maybe he was being attacked by, by them. It was temptation. It was epilepsy. They say some think it was speech problem, malaria. Uh, someone threw in the joke. Maybe it's his wife that was his thorn in the flesh. Thank you for that laugh. That's the joke that I was looking for. You had that extra hour of sleep. Thank you. The most popular was his, he was, it was blindness. And they connected with that. Maybe it was the road to Damascus and, you know, the scales fell off his eyes. He was able to see, but maybe he still dealt with a, a, a blindness. He, he had, he, he couldn't see. The, the Bible does talk about Paul will say things like, you know, I'm writing with my own hand. Look how big letters I use. So there's a lot of things that are connected possibly that, but we really, really don't know. And maybe that's God's plan. Maybe it's for us to relate that whatever it is that we know and we've experienced, you know, and the question is, do you have a thorn in your flesh? Okay. Don't point fingers. Okay. Don't do that. Do you have a thorn in your flesh? You know, is it a relationship? Is it a job? Is it a home life issue? Is it somebody that's just driving you crazy at times? It could be a problem. It could be a physical pain issue. It could be emotional baggage. It could be an issue of addiction, a situation you're faced with, whatever it might be. This is the hard part of life is there's certain things that we get over and we moved on and God, God answers our prayer. God answers with a yes in our life. 
We pray through it and we get through it. And it's, it's awesome. And, and yet there's times and we just beg God. We beg God, please, Lord, please, please, please. And, and, and what the answer is in, in the meeting is no, at least not yet. No for now. And there's a response. There's a delayed response to where we're at in life. And that was the case for Paul. He writes this. He says this, therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I have been given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it, take it from me. See, of all people that God would, should answer the prayers would be the apostle Paul. Wouldn't you want him to pray for you after church? I think I would. And yet himself, he was in need. And all the miracles that God did through Paul. And yet he battled with this thorn in his flesh. And what does he say? It kept him humble. It kept him in perspective of what he was going through in life. And what it did is it kept him dependent upon Jesus. See, whatever it might be, whatever thorns you have in your life, personal issues, disabilities, challenges, we are learning something. That is to grow in greater dependence on him. And with that, you need to understand humility is our greatest friend. It's our greatest teacher to show us and guide us that in time, yes, there's freedom and opportunity ahead and release from it. But along the way, we're learning on dependence upon the Lord each and every step of the way. So how do we respond when it's no for now? How do we cope? How do we find strength through admitting our weakness? He tells us this. In fact, actually, Jesus responds to him. Said, hey, he's praying, praying, praying. Nothing's happening. Nothing's changing. I mean, Satan himself is, you know, bringing that enemy. Maybe you felt that before. The enemy is attacking you. Here it is. Jesus says this and to, to Paul in his weakest moments of, of his life and to our life. He says to him this, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. There it is. Our soul sufficient is through his sustaining grace. His grace, all sufficient at the right moment we need it and the right time that we need it to get us through when you get through. But don't miss this next point. Don't miss this because Christ's sufficiency, you need to know, doesn't mean just to get by and just to get through. It doesn't mean that there's times we don't live on the edge and we're just trying to scrape by and just that. But Jesus here, you need to realize he's saying something so significant. It's not just surviving because he goes on. He says this, he says this, my grace is sufficient for my power is made perfect in weakness. This word here, this phrase make perfect means this. You need to know this. It means wholeness. It means completion. It means fulfillment. What is he, what is he saying to us? It's saying what all that we're going through, all they're experiencing, all that we're trying to get through, and God's not quite answering the prayer that we he answered it. In this, Jesus' sufficiency leads to completion, leads to fulfillment, leads to wholeness in our lives. It means at the end of the day, it's not about us, it's about him. At the end of the day, it's not about us receiving the credit, the credit and the glory. It's him that he gets the preeminence in our life. He's the one that gets the, the, the credit. Guys, I don't know about you, but I just want Jesus shine so big, big through me that, that they don't see me. They see him. And the only way I've discovered this, it's through my weakness, it's through my frailties, through my mistakes. It doesn't, that, that shows God's strength. If I and you did everything right and 100% every single time and all our prayers were answered and everything was working for us, what would people see? They would see us. They would not see 
the power of Jesus through us. It totally makes sense, but when you're in it, it sucks, right? Let's be real. It's tough. And yet Paul tells us this in all humility, Paul faced, this is what he says in all of it. And he's getting through and the sufficiency of God's grace is this. He says, therefore, in all of it, I will boast all more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, you want to know the whys of life? That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. Here it is. Here it is. When I am weak, then I am strong. What is Paul saying? In my weakest, weakest place, that is where God is the strongest in my life. Can I so hopefully you hear this today? If you are praying, 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 and you are hearing no or not yet, not now from God, it doesn't mean he loves you less. In fact, his love never changes for you at all. It's actually in his love. He has you where he has you. It's in that. It's bringing humility. It's bringing a, pre- a greater place of dependence upon him. And in this, it's hard to believe that thorn, that problem, that issue, that pain you're going through, it truly is for a season. See, finally, you got to know this. Be reminded of this. In, in, if only, it's only through our weakness that we can find growth capacity. It's only through our weakness that we can find our growth capacity. Really, at the end of the day, this is such a big reason why we go through what we go through. A couple of weeks ago, Wendy Powell, she's one of our pastors down at CTK Bellingham. She did this workshop one morning on grief. And it was very, very helpful as, as, as a pastor, as if you're in counseling, you recognize helping people through grief, helping through the death of a loved one, helping them through pain or whatever they're going through specifically through people that have lost a loved one. How do you walk people through that? And what she said, there's a bit of a fallacy at times where people say, well, time heals. She goes, not always. Pain's pain. The problem's problem. And the grief is the grief. And she says that we need to recognize that the, the, the loss, the grief, doesn't always get smaller over time. But what we can do is grow from it bigger. She, she gave this picture here. It doesn't turn out too well on the screen, but up here it says our loss does not become less, meaning the loss that we have, that's not true. Just as we say the same, that it'll get smaller and smaller in life. Maybe times it feels like it does, but for many people it doesn't. It, whatever you felt 20 years ago is the same as today, but this is a beautiful picture at the bottom where the pain, the issue is still the same size. What happens is we grew bigger, that we grew in capacity. We, we respond, we, we, we respond to, to, to grow and we expand where we're at in life. I don't know about you, that was very, very helpful for me. That whatever I'm going through in life, when the pain I'm going through, that I'm going to grow stronger, that I'm going to grow bigger from it, that I'm going to, my life is going to be expanded more. I'm going to have a greater perspective of what I face in life. And here's so important, you got to hear this, is that, that we choose that. We choose that in life. Whether, and you've heard it before, whether we choose bitterness or being better at whatever it is. To choose bitterness or bigger. Do I want to grow? Do I want to expand from it? Is, is giving that over to God, saying, God, it's in my life. It's loss of experience. And maybe it's not getting smaller, but I'm going to grow from it. I'm going to grow there. And I make that choice in my life. Yesterday I was 
going through my notes, getting ready. I, it was a day like the beautiful day. Yesterday was a beautiful day. I was out in the water and near it and just kind of wrapping up, praying through it, talking through it, and just thinking how I'm going to, you know, deliver here today. And as I wrapped up, my, my, uh, I noticed on my phone I had a voicemail. And like, oh, yeah, that's right. I need to check that. And I listened to it. And there was a gentleman that had been a part of our church. He's still in the county. I didn't know that. He, you know, yeah, you're, you're, as a pastor, I spent a lot of time with people in, in like seasons. And then they disappear. <laughs> like, whatever happened to, and he's one of those guys. And once in a while, I would think of him. I went, yeah, whatever happened to him? And he left this message. I talked to him on the phone. And he walked with me through what he went through that was so parallel to what I just shared. He goes, this last year, I just want you to know, I want you to know I'm still alive. He goes, I was wondering where you're at, I said. And he goes, this is what happened. He goes, my business fell, fell apart. My, my wife divorced me. I was living with some friends. And the way I even took care of it, I just cooked for them so I could have a place to live. So near homelessness, lost all his money, lost everything, sold his fancy car. He was at the bottom of his bottom. And God did a work in his life this last year. And as he was sharing all this, I shared with the message and I said, this is very interesting because, and, and, and you need to know, as I'm sharing the life of Paul with him, his name happened to be Paul. And I think, okay, God, we got to share that with today is that God's at work. Even if your name's not Paul today, God is at work in your life. All of us at times have experienced humility in, in, in being humbled. And I tell you, it, you can't plan for it. You can't schedule it. It's just part of the work that God wants to do. And he doesn't love you less in the process. Just because your prayers are not answered, just because it didn't work out the way you wanted to work out, just as you prayed, 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 and you thought you had enough faith and it, it did not go the way you want, it doesn't mean he loves you less. In fact, what it shows of his, his, his enduring, his sustaining love and his grace in our lives. I'd like our team to come as we pray. And the question here is, where are you? Where is your weakest when you need God the most? Maybe right now, if you could say in your life, there's a weakness in your life. Could be a physical issue, a pain, health issue. It could be emotional for you today. It's just a, it's a, it's a thorn in your flesh. You, you, could, you could say that. It, it could be, as we joked about people, it could be a person, honestly. It could be someone at your work, someone you work for, someone you live with. It could be your spouse, a child. You don't want to put all the blame. That's the, not the goal here. But they are, it's been t- difficult to live with them and work with them and be with them. For some of us, it might be finances. It might be an addiction. Next week, you, want to, you don't want to miss it. Next week, we're going to be talking about that. Whatever it might be, Listen to Jesus' words for you. He says to you and to me and everyone else that willing to humble themselves before him, he says, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. His grace is sufficient in your weakness So his power, his power make perfect in you. That made perfect to bring wholeness, to bring completion, bring fulfillment. We don't serve a get by God, even though we just get by at times. He wants to do a greater, greater work in our lives. And the work that he wants to do is not that we receive the credit, that we receive the glory and accomplishments and the pats on the back. It was he would be the one 
get all the credit and all the glory. And I tell you, when we get to that place, when we experience that in our life, that truly, truly is soul sufficiency. Will you bow with me in prayer? I want to pray for you and for the need. And it's good, good to put the need before the Lord. The Bible makes it clear to, to pray for needs. Whatever we have, we, we ask Lord to take it in his name. He said when we ask, he's faithful to us. We'll meet our needs. So as you think of whatever that might be today, what, let's pray about that. Lord, I, I lift every person here today that has come in with a burden. They've come in with a problem, pain, an issue. They, they, they would really say it's a thorn in their flesh because it's not gone away. For some, for some people here, it's gotten a little bit bigger. And they're just trying to find you, Lord, in the midst of it. Lord, you promised something so amazing. And that's your sufficiency through your grace. To get us through, to help us along, but ultimately, Lord, to depend upon you. Lord, I pray for those in the need. Lord, we, we pray for a yes. We pray for healing. We pray for whatever the issue, Lord. You, you said to ask and you'll do that work. But Lord, there's times you don't do that. And there's, it's there in our life. Lord, will you help us learn humility? Lord, will you help us ultimately to learn dependence upon, upon you? Lord, that's what you want. Lord, you want us to be in relationship with you. You want us to spend time with you. You want us to, to, to be moment by moment. And Lord, may, in a way, Lord, whatever that pain, whatever the issue, whatever that struggle, Lord, it would just draw us to you. It draws to you, draws to you. Lord, I, I pray for every heart here today. I pray for every soul here this morning that, God, may they not choose bitterness, but they choose to grow through the pain and the hurt, Lord. Their life, in some ways, would, would be expanded in a way and have a greater perspective of you through it all, Lord. God, may they, they find you. May they find your strength, that you are made, growing them to be made perfect in you, to find fullness and fulfillment and wholeness in their life, Lord God. God, I pray for those that have not experienced your, your grace when it comes to saving grace, Lord, that you would grab hold of their heart just like you did for the Apostle Paul, Lord. God, may you use the circumstances, the humbling times to get as you get our attention to turn to you this morning if we've not given our life to you, Lord. But God, again, I pray for every single one, a person here today that, that just needs to experience your sustaining grace, Lord. God, teach us, help us to work through it, grow through it, and Lord, in the, in the midst of it, we would find your perfection, Lord. We'd find your fulfillment. We would find truly, God, your great work, Lord, in and through our life, that you get the credit, you get the glory, and they would, people would see our lives and they go, how awesome, how big, how supreme you are, Jesus, and all that you do. And we would just give you the praise and give you the glory for it. God, I can't think of anything more that would bring great soul satisfaction and sufficiency is that, Lord, in our life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.